Five. Good morning, and uh, thank you very much for the warm welcome. It's nice to see you all uh, on this Sunday morning. This week has been difficult for for a lot of us, and uh, difficult for the nation. And we pray that God will give strength to deal with the loss, and also that we should be remembering our King in our prayers that the Lord will continue to give him wisdom, and we, that he'll be able to lead the country in the way of the Lord. And so. Once again, we offer our condolences for the for the passing of passing away of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. Now, the passage this morning for consideration is Matthew chapter twenty-six, starting at verses thirty-six onwards, and we'll take time to read from verses thirty-six to fifty-six. Matthew twenty-six, starting at verse thirty-six. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And saith unto the disciples, City here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. <clears throat> and he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that he enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them, and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doeth, doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staffs, and from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hands and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, and thus, thus it must be? In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for me to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and he laid no hand on me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And all the disciples forsook him and fled. And God will bless the reading of his word. 
Now when we come into this set of this passage, you know, this passage is a passage of great sorrow, a passage of great conflict. You would have, as you would have gone through chapter 26, you would have seen at the very beginning of it that there was a plot that was hatched to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. But after that, as you would progress, you would see the anointing in the house of Simon the leper. And then Jesus would go to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And there he would institute the Lord's Supper. And after they would have celebrated the Passover, they would make the journey from the upper room. They would go from Jerusalem, cross the Kidron Valley and make their way to the Mount of Olives. And as they will walk to the Mount of Olives, the Lord Jesus Christ would say to his disciples, All of you will be made to stumble because of me. This night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And so he is preparing them that there would be an opportunity, preparing them for what is going to come. And then they would make their way and then they would come to this place which is called Gethsemane. And that is where we would start looking at this passage. Now as you would look at this passage, you know, this passage is all around this place. And there is so many lessons that we could learn and there is so many things that tell us about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ as we come to this passage. You know, you will, we will think about the sorrow, we will think about the conflict that he will have to go through. We will think a little bit about the aspect of the loneliness that he will have to endure. We will think then a little bit about the aspect of prayer and his dependence upon God the Father. We will then think a little bit about the weakness that, that is there amongst men. And then finally we will think a little bit about the betrayal. And so this passage is very, very well written and very well put by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when we come into this passage, we learn first about the place and the name of that place is Gethsemane, you know. You know, that garden was situated on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives was a very, very well known place in scriptures. If you were to go back and look up, look, look, look at it from the Old Testament, you would see it is the place around that place where David had made his journey when he was running away from Absalom. It was a place that was mentioned with, with regards to Solomon and the high places. It was also a place that was mentioned by the prophet in the prophecy of Zechariah, where the one will come and stand upon that place, you know. And so it was a very, very well-known place. And this place, Gethsemane, you know, means an oil press. You know, it was a place where oil olive trees grew around, and because of the trees that grew around. In that place there was a press, you know. We are told that the way that the olives, the olive oil is taken off, is taken off by placing precious, by placing pressure on the olives. And as they would place pressure on these olives, the oils will come out. And so as we are thinking about this place, and we are thinking about the name of this place, I want you to think that it is, it is a place of pressure, and it is a place that the Lord Jesus Christ will go to. You know, it was a place that he often visited, as we would told, as we would be told, if you go to the book, to the same story in the Gospel of Luke, you will see that the Lord Jesus Christ has was coming to this place quite often because Luke says that he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. 
And so this place, though it was a place of pressure, it was a place where the Lord would come. And where it will be a place where he will get refuge, he will have solitude. And it will be a place where he will privately commune with God the Father. Away from the attack of his enemies, away from the crowds that were, that were around him. It was a place that was special for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as he comes to that place, you will see that, you know, he would leave the eight of his disciples outside. And then he would bring three more with him, Peter, James and John, into the, into the inner part of that garden. And as he would take this men into this garden, he would say to them, you know, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. As you would think about this man, I, I would always think that these men were quite key, you know, in the spread of the gospel, in the spread of the work that the Lord Jesus Christ had done. They were Peter, James and John. And the Lord had taken these special disciples a little bit further, so that they could understand what he was going to go through. These men were, were there who would be able to see, they had seen the, the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of God. And now they will be able to see that sorrow that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to endure. You know, today as we sit and read these scriptures, you know, by faith we are able to see what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to endure. But these men had a privilege to be there themselves, to behold what, it, what, what was going to happen and to see for themselves. I hope that we also understand as we go through these scriptures that what the Lord Jesus Christ had to endure for us. And so as we would read there, he says, you know, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. You know, exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. You know, what it means is that he was encompassed with sorrow. He was surrounded by grief, you know. The psalmist would say, the pains of hell have got hold of me. You know, the waves and billows of sorrows were all around the Lord. Wherever he would turn, the sorrow of what he was going to endure had overtaken him. There was no escape from it. You know, all over that he was there. And he goes on to say, when you, could, when you go into the, into the Gospel of Luke, that the, sorrow, the horror of the sorrow was so great, that he says that sweat was as it was great drops of blood were falling from him. You know, and so here was a man who was going through this sorrow. You know, the prophet Isaiah would speak of him that he was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. He knew from the very beginning point of time that he had to endure this sorrow. And so, here was this man now, the Lord Jesus Christ, going through that sorrowful time. You know, it goes on to say that, that he was very, very heavy. It was very, very heavy. The burden of that sorrow was upon him. And it was very, very heavy. As you would go to the other Gospels and as you would see, read the same story, the, the description is given more of what it was, you know. Mark says that he was troubled. You know, the sorrow was so great that it had actually troubled him. Luke uses the word agony, you know. And there was this emotional strain upon him, you know. And then Mark goes on again to say that he was so amazed by, and he was astonished by the circumstances that was there. You know, the Lord had shown human emotions in the past. But here it was totally different. Here he was going to endure something in the future. And that sorrow has overtaken him. As you would think of this sorrow, you would think of the path that he is about to endure. And you would see that he is going to go against, he was going to go against what men are going to do to him. 
And he's going to go to the cross there and give his life on the cross of Calvary. And so here was one who was very, very sorrowful. You know, but as I, as I think about the aspect of sorrow, it is important to understand the human aspect of that sorrow as well. You know, we are very, very, you know, clear in our understanding that who he was. You know, the Bible says that he was God who was manifested in the flesh. You know, he was one who had glory with the Father way before the world was. John would remind us. You know, and the writer and the Apostle Paul will tell us that he who was in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he says that he made himself of no reputation and lowered himself in the form of a servant and came into the scene of time. John would describe it better. He would say that, you know, he became man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. You know, so here was one who was God. But he was manifested in the, in the flesh. And John says that he had come into this world for a specific purpose. And that purpose was to take away the sins of that world. And so as we are thinking about him, we have to understand that his manhood, his humanity was absolutely real. It was absolutely real. You know, the writer to the Hebrew says this, that it behoved him in all things to be made like his brethren. It behoved him in all things to be made like us. You know, you know. he goes on to say, the writer to the Hebrew says, that he was in all points tempted as we are, but yet without sin. He was a perfect human, but he was God as well. And the Bible says that, you know, that he, had, he was complete in the sense that he had a body, he had a soul, and he had spirit. And therefore, in the garden of Gethsemane, as he sat, he said, my, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. And though as much as divine he was, he also shared fully and completely in the human condition. And so there he feels the sorrow of men and women. You know. And as you are thinking about the aspect of the sorrow, the question that would come to your mind then is, why? Why the sorrow? Why has he to bear the sorrow? You know. You know, at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 26, the Lord himself foretells his death, doesn't he? He says, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered to be crucified. He will be delivered to be crucified. And crucifixion, as we all know, is a very, very, you know, uh, very, I, I don't have words to express, very difficult or very uh, bad way of, of, of dying. And here was one who was going to prolong, who was going to, you know, go through that torture that was going to be there. And it says the death of crucifixion will be the death by piercing nails into his hands and his feet. He would be exposed to the burning sun. He would be exposed to that crowd who usually would come to see the crucifixion. And he would have to go through the strain of being able to lift up that collapsed body as he would lay on that cross of Calvary. And it would last for, for maybe hours and maybe days. And here was one who was had to go through that death. You know, he was God and so he knew that he had to endure this. But as a man, he had to endure this pain and suffering, you know, and he had to go through this. But why he had to go through this and he had to go through this? Because he had to bear the sins of one and all upon him. The Bible says that sin entered into this world through one man. 
and death came into this world because of that. And as death came, you know, we are all partakers of death and therefore partakers of that sinful nature. And but God in his great grace, in his great mercy, sent his only begotten son to die upon the cross of Calvary for your sins and for my sins. And as the Lord Jesus Christ in that garden of Eden, in, within, within the next day now he will be crucified, you know, anticipated that suffering. He was filled with sorrow and he was filled with, with grief. And so here was one who was full of grief and sorrow because he had to endure this pain and suffering. And then Matthew goes a little bit further and he says, as we come into, into verse uh, verse 39, he says, And he went a little further, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my father, if it pos be possible, let this cup pass away from me. You know, when I looked at this word, he went a little bit further, and I was thinking about it. You know, my mind went to the idea that, went to the, the thought that, you know, he had separated himself from these disciples. Eight were left out and there were three left here and then now he's separating himself for this three. And as I was thinking about this, you know, the thought came into the mind that this was a path that was a lonely path and it was a place, it was, and it was a path that he alone had to endure, you know. You know, the Lord, the Lord uh, in John reminds us this and the Lord says this, The hour is coming, how has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and you will leave me alone. John 6.32 says this. And you will leave me alone. And that will be the, what the Lord Jesus Christ has to endure. He's going to endure something by himself. You know, as, and, and as he would go on to that lonely path, you know, you, we would read in these verses that he would come three times to his disciple. And as he comes to his disciple, may maybe looking for consolation, maybe looking for support, you know, but he can find none because they were asleep. They were sleeping from, from I don't know, after the whole, the, the business of that day, but yet the Lord was alone in this grief. He was alone in this sorrow. And therefore he went a little bit further. You know, this was the path that he had to walk alone. The Bible says this, you know, because only one, he was the only one who was capable and was acceptable to God to be a perfect sacrifice. And therefore he alone could go to the cross of Calvary to pay the price for your sins and my sins. First Peter 2 says this, He committed no sin, neither deceit was found in his mouth. You know, 1 John 3, 5 says this, that you know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there was no sin. John 1, 29 says this, that the next day he, about the, John the Baptist sees the Lord Jesus Christ coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There was only one who had to go to the cross of Calvary. Why was he the only one? We've read the scriptures which tell us that in him was no sin. And because in him was no sin, he became the perfect sacrifice which could, who could atone for our sins and thereby satisfy the wrath of God. And so as we think of him, we are thinking of him who walked the path alone. He is the only way to the Father. Acts, you know, the, the, uh, Luke reminds us in Acts that, And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men, whereby we, we, can be much, which we must be saved. 
And so as we are thinking of that lonely path, we are thinking of the only one who can save us from our sins. You know, as we think of this little thing, this point, and this moment of loneliness that the Lord had to endure, we may have to look at ourselves and ask the question, you know, for whom He had to endure. The Bible says that He gave His life for each and every one of us, so that we can come to know the Savior ourselves. And so He walked that path of loneliness. As we, as He walked that path of loneliness, and as the grief and the sorrow that was that had surrounded Him. You know, we read about these three prayers about the Lord Jesus Christ has given there. And as we read about this three pair, these three prayers, what comes before us is the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though there is this great sorrow that he's enduring, and though he's going to face death in the near future, as we read these verses, what we learn is that even amongst all these things, there is dependence on God the Father himself. And so he makes his journey away from these disciples and goes into the presence of, his fa- of the Father. And now he will commune with the Father. And, though, and you know, as we see this, we understand the relationship that he had with the Father. We understand the nearness of that relationship. We understand the confidence that he had with the Father. You know, and that confidence, even though amongst the grief that is there, amongst the anguish and the sorrow and the pain that he's going to endure, amongst all that... He has still got his confidence with the Father. And then he goes on to say in these verses, Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass away from me. You know, he was asking, he was requesting, will the cup be removed from me? You know, the cup was his passion. You know, we read in John, you know, he says to, you know, when Peter had taken that sword and taken off the, the from his sheath and taken the, 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 the ear of the, uh, the high priest's servant, he says, shall I not drink this cup? which my father had given me. Shall I not drink this cup? And that cup was his passion. And that cup he had to drink. You know. And here we read about one who was submitting to the will of the father. He says, not my will, but thine be done. Three times he goes into the presence of God the father. And three times is the same thing. Not my will, but thine be done. Here was one who was perfect in his submission in front of the father you know he was subservient to the father's purpose and he knew the greater purpose that he had come into this world was to give his life on the cross of calvary and 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 and, and give his life for our sins you know no matter how difficult it would have been the lord had to pass through this moments of of of, of difficulty you know as we are thinking of the this this aspect of prayer you know i was thinking of the lessons that are there for us as well in times of grief, in times of sorrow, in times of difficulty, you know, it is even our place that we should come always before God. Sometimes when we go through difficulties and sometimes when we endure, uh, you know, difficult issues in our life, at times we always look to God and say, why me? Sometimes we hold Him responsible for it. But here we see the one who was submissive. He came with great, great uh, meekness and humbleness into, in front of God the Father, saying, Not my will, but thine be done. I think it is a lesson for us as well that when in need, when in difficulty, we should always come to the word of God and to, to come in the presence of God. There will always be an answer. 
you know, and the answer will always be according to his will. But the good thing about the prayer is this, that even though he's asking, he's always ensuring that the purpose of God will always be fulfilled. And that is his words, may not my will, but thine be done. And for us again, it is a lesson that we have to understand that we have to always look and to ensure that the purpose of God is going to be fulfilled. And so maybe when we pray, maybe when we you know, go to God with our need, you know, are we ensuring that, that in our need, we are, we, you know, that the purpose of God is going to be fulfilled? You know, what a lovely picture it is of, of one who is, is humble, one who is submissive. The other aspect of, of this prayer is this, you know, then I, which I liked in this verse, it is given that he, he fell on his face. He fell on his face. And again, you know, the idea and the body language here is of reverence. The reverence that he is showing to God the Father himself. You know, he, 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 he understands who he is. He is the one who has created the world. And yet he is showing his reverence to God the Father. Again a lesson for us. Sometimes we, we take, you know, in the morning, you know, take time to pray. And maybe, you know, pray in a minute or two and make our way out because we are in a hurry. Never understanding that there is reverence required in our association with God. When we read scriptures at time, we read it without understanding what is being said and through it. Without understanding that we, are, that we should be reverent in front of God. We are reading His Word. And therefore in our lives as well, in our postures, in our testimony, it is important that that reverence to God has been shown. And that reverence can only come when we understand what the Lord has done for us. What He has done on the cross of Calvary, it will only come when we understand that. And here is one who should be an example for one and all. And the example is of reverence. The example of dependence. The example of confidence in God the Father. That is what is expected of us as well. You know the thing about God is this. That he never disappoints. He may say no to a prayer at that point of time. But there may be moments in life when you look back and see that God has not answered your prayer. When you go back and see that there, you could see the reason why he did not answer a certain prayer. And again, that is a lesson for us. God will always do things according to his purpose. And therefore, it is important for us as individuals as well, that when we put our trust in God, we ensure that we are able to understand his purpose in our lives. And so here was one who went in prayer. But then the other aspect you see when we come to these, these verses, you know. And when you come to these verses, you know, you see these men who are there, these disciples. And these disciples are, are asleep, you know. And what we see here in these verses is the aspect of human failure and the aspects of human weakness. He came to them, verse 35 and he, 38, and he sees them sleeping. He comes again and he sees them sleeping again. He came three times and they were asleep. The Lord needed them at that moment of time. You know, he needed them. You know, one of the greatest struggles of human history is happening only a few paces away. And, and these men are curled up and asleep. You know, you know as, you, as you think about this, you know, you will see that 
This is the aspect of human failure. You know, it is the aspect of our weakness. The Lord said, didn't he, that you know the you know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And though we would want to do certain things, the weakness within our flesh will not allow us to do it. And that weakness is driven by the sin that is there within us. You know? We don't sin out of ignorance, do we? We sin out of this weakness. We sin out of unwillingness. We sin out of selfishness. We sin out of carelessness. You know, you know these men had let the Lord down in the past. If you would read the verses before, Peter, you would see about him. In verse 33, he is very self-confident. The Lord is saying that everyone is going to, uh, you know, you're going to let me down. And Peter says, no, even if all may stumble because of you, I will never be stumbled. I will never stumble. Saying that he knows more of the Lord. Verse 37 we read that he was asleep. When we come to the end of the chapter we read that these men have left him and forsook and, and, and fled. Later on Peter will deny him. These were men who were showing the weakness of their flesh and they were, and they, as they were asleep. You know, many a times you, know, you have to ask yourself the question how many times have you left God down? These men were in the presence of holiness. These men were, these men were in the presence of div a divine being. And they are going to be witness to, to something that will change the entire universe. But yet these men were asleep. You know that weakness comes from the flesh that is within us. You know we thought about this didn't we? We said that you know that, that we were partakers of that sinful nature. Because we, were, we are all inherited the, the nature of, of Adam. And the Bible says that sin entered through that one man and death came by sin. But the, but the gift of God is always this, that he gave us eternal life through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you know the sin that we possess is something that God hates. You know? God has got nothing to do with sin whatsoever. But though in his love, though in his grace... He wants to ensure that he doesn't hate you or he doesn't hate me, hate me. Because his word says it so clearly, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that love was shown by him by sending his Son into, the, into, the, into this world. And that Son now, as you would go on, you would see that he would go to the cross of Calvary and give us life for your sins and my sins. So that we may be able to get over that weakness in the presence of God. You know, the moment the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, the day he rose again, to those who trusted in him, the Bible says that their sins will be wiped away. They shall be white as snow. And therefore it is for us to always remember, the opportunity is there for us the privilege is there for us that we can put our trust in Him knowing that our sins will be given for once and for all and that we will be in the presence of God for always. And so here we see that these men, have, these men are sleeping and showing the aspect of weakness. But as we end, we see towards this end, end verses that there is betrayal. And there is betrayal. The Lord knew, knew about this betrayal, isn't He? You know, very much earlier... In his life, in, in John chapter 6, you would read that, Have I not, he says, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He was God, so he knew that what is going to come 
in the future. And as, as he takes these men, he knew that one of them is going to betray him. Judas was one of his disciples. He had lived with him. He had, he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ for these past three years. You know, he had seen what he has done. He had seen where he had come from. But yet he betrayed him. And he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. You know, as you think a little bit about this betrayal, you know, I can only say that as you think about this, you have to think about what is going to be your answer before God when you know that He's given you the privilege of trusting His Son. He's given you the privilege of knowing that all your sins have been paid by Him on the cross of Calvary. Would you walk away and say no to Him as Judas has done? Judas knew everything, didn't he? As I said, for the last three years. He had been part of the Lord Jesus Christ's life. He had seen Him. But yet when the time came, he betrayed him and left him alone. And as we would read towards these verses that, that they came and they came with, with a huge mob and they, and they came with swords and clubs and they, and they came to arrest him. He says, I was one amongst you, I had walked amongst you. But yet they came to arrest him in a manner such as they came to get a thief. I always think that they were more worried about the, his, the power that he had. Because they knew who he was, you know. And therefore they were afraid and they came with such a big mob. And as we would read that, that a sword is taken out by Peter and he would take away the ear of one of the men who had come, who was a servant of the chief priests. And the Lord says to him, you know, you know, why have you done this? He said, if required, I would ask, the, I would ask my father and he would send a legion of angels and he can protect me. But he says, no. So that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Think back again to the aspect of that will. The purpose of God was always before him. The purpose of God was always before him. The cross was always before him. And so he says, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He could have taken out all these men who had come to, to get him. But yet, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the will of the Father. And he went away with these men. And as you would read the chapters thereon, you would see what he would endure and how he would go to the cross for your sins and my sins. And so as we have thought about this, you know, we've thought about his sorrow. We thought of Gethsemane as a place of sorrow. We thought about the place of loneliness. We thought about the place of dependence or submission to the will of God the Father. We thought about the place of weakness. And we thought about men's weakness. But we also thought about the place of betrayal. And so my time is up and I hope that as we have gone through this passage, you have been able to understand what the Lord had to endure for your sake and my sake. And that you would put his trust in him. May the Lord bless his word. Shall we pray? Father, we thank thee once again for the privilege that thou hast given us to come into thy presence. We thank Thee, Father, for these solemn words that we have read and understood. And we thank Thee, Father, through the eyes of faith we have been able to enter into the Garden of Gethsemane and see the Saviour enduring sorrow, pain and grief. But Lord, as we have seen it, we thank Thee for Him. We thank Thee that He endured this. 
We are mindful, Father, that he endured this for our sins. And we are mindful, Father, he paid the price of our sins on the cross of Calvary. And so we thank thee for the Savior once again. And we can say with the songwriter, Hallelujah, what a Savior we have. And so, Father, thank thee once again now. And as we depart, we pray that thou may be with us. And for the week that lies ahead, that thou may continue to comfort and strengthen each and every one of us. We think especially of the royal family, Father, and we pray that Thou may be with them, that Thou may give them strength, and that Thou may lead them, Father, through this difficult period. We also remember uh, our King and we pray for Him. And we pray, Father, that Thou may give Him wisdom and knowledge, that He may be, be able to lead and direct according to Thy will, Father, and that He may be an example as His mother was. And so we ask the Lord for help. In the Saviour's precious and gracious name we ask. Amen. Amen.